Hello. It's Wednesday, January 31st. It's the last day of January. I feel like I've lived five different lives over the last 31 days. I'm struggling to comprehend how it's not already June. You know, though, who'll be glad January's over? James Shaw. I bet keeping those plans to resign under wraps would have been very difficult. Of course, going to be chatting all about his resignation. So, kia ora, this is Newsable. I'm Imogen and this is what's worth talking about. James Shaw is bowing out of politics. So, where to from here for the Green Party? The $400,000 lawsuit over butter chicken. Plus, UK comedian Russell Howard's in town. So, he came in for a chat and you will be surprised to hear the topics we traversed. All that's coming up in a moment here on Newsable. Newsable takes time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz support. James Shaw's resignation made yesterday's first Parliament sitting day of 2024 even busier than normal. The Green Party co-leader announcing he'll be stepping down from his leadership role in March, but will stay on as a Green MP for a little while longer to see his Members' Bill, an amendment to the Bill of Rights to include the right to a sustainable environment, through Parliament. Shortly after his announcement, Shaw sat down with senior staff audio journalist Aaron Darman to talk about the legacy he leaves and what his departure might mean for the Greens. When I came back from the UK and kind of got involved as a volunteer and as a a candidate, any time I would read in the media about the Greens, the commentary or the background assumption is like, oh, the Greens are crazy, you know, you don't want to let them anywhere near the levers of government, they'll bring the place down, they'll destroy the economy, they'll, um, they'll, uh, you know, the government won't last six months with them in it, you know, all that kind of stuff. Nobody says that about us now. And actually, if you compare our time in government to some of the other parties that were involved in our governments, but also some of the coalition partners that are involved now, I would say that we have demonstrated that we were, you know, stable, sober, committed, principled, um, and and kind of and responsible, you know, um, more so than kind of many others. Uh, and, and I'm really proud of that. In 2020, you reflected on starting out with the quote, the overriding narrative was, for God's sake, don't let these people anywhere near power. Yeah. So what happens now that you're gone? The moderator's gone. Well, I, I think that's a bit of a... I think it's typecasting to say that I'm the moderator or the moderator or something like that. I mean, we have a really long tradition. You know, if you go back to um, Jeanette and Rod, you know, our first pairs of co-leaders, they really kind of set the standard and the tone for you know, being very um, uh, committed and to the to the principles of the party and what it is that we stand for, but also uh, also committed to working with whoever they needed to work with in order to advance advance those. Do you have any concerns that the party will become sort of less electable with you gone? No, I don't. I don't. I mean, you've got to remember that, you know, we've just had a, a kind of record number of New Zealanders voting for us. And I think if you look at the kind of shift in New Zealand society, especially with uh, kind of younger people who are living in our inner cities, who are feeling very economically excluded, you know, very precarious when it comes to housing and, you know, so on and so forth, um, and and who are also the generation who are most worried about the impacts of climate change and how that's going to affect their future, who are most in tune with um, kind of issues around the environment and so on. You know, I, I don't, I don't have any any concern about that. And also, I don't want to be one of these kind of old hacks. I was like, 
sitting there throwing in pot shots and how I do it differently. I mean, it really is up to each generation to make of it what they can and what they will. And you can listen to the full interview. You'll find it in the newsable feed. For now, though, the Green Party and the Green Party members have quite a bit of mahi ahead of them when it comes to finding Shaw's replacement. So where to from here? And what direction will we see the Green Party going in? Well, joining us to give us her thoughts is former Green Party MP Sue Bradford. Sue, kia ora. Kia ora. First of all, Sue, I do apologise because when I called you to see if you'd be interested in speaking with us about all this, I actually broke the news to you about James Shaw. James Shaw's resigning. Now that you've had some time to digest it all, though, what is your reaction to his decision? Um, ha- having seen it, um, it doesn't come as so much as a surprise because there were indications around the time of the election or just afterwards that perhaps he was thinking about taking a new direction in his life, and I think that he's probably made a really good decision both for himself personally and his family, but also for the Green Party, to allow it time to bed in a new leader, a new co-leader, and potentially two new co-leaders well before the next election. Um, So he's probably pretty happy (laughs) about what he's announced today, I would suspect. And I also think there's likely to be quite a few Green Party people who are looking forward who may be very, um, many of them will be very appreciative of the work James has done for the party, but are also perhaps looking forward to new directions that a new leadership crew could take. Because you have been a vocal critic of James Shaw's. You haven't been impressed or all that impressed with what he managed to get across the line in terms of climate change. I believe you did refer to it once as feeble. What do you then now hope to see from the next Green Party co-leader or co-leaders, whoever they may be? I'd love to see co-leaders that continue to take really strong positions on both environmental issues and social justice issues. Um, Since um, the election campaign last year, the Greens have come out more strongly, including James. I'll give them credit for that. I think they made a terrible mistake going into the agreement with Labour after the 2020 election. It really held them back. Um, Though, of course, in the election result this time, that they did really well with um, 15 MPs, which is a record. So they've got a chance now to break free from their self-imposed moderation of of seeming whenever Labour becomes um, the leading party, they seem to bend over backwards to what to be the little buddy without striking very good deals. And I think that held both the party and James back in terms of policies, not just on climate and the environment, but in other areas as well. Do you think there's any risk of alienating voters who saw and sure someone who was that safe pair of hands? Could you imagine uh, party support dropping? I think that uh, the Green Party did take a lot of votes from Labour in the last election and potentially there are voters there who may have come over because they like James, but I somehow doubt it. I think that they were more likely to come over because they felt that the Perhaps the industrial relations policies of the Greens were stronger. Perhaps their environmental policies were stronger than Labor's. So I don't think they'd lose voters on that front. Are you willing to say who you would like to see as the next co-leader? <laughs> not, not at this stage. I don't think the Green Party has a lot of choices. The two most obvious um, candidates are probably Chloe Swarbrick and Te Ano Tui Ono. I imagine that's who they'll be looking at. Um, It also depends on those people, whether they wish to stand and put themselves into what is a very difficult position. Mm. So all I can say is best of luck to the party in sorting it out. No, it'll definitely be interesting to see where this all ends up. Former Green MP Sue Bradford, kia ora, thank you for your time. 
If you don't have time to read the in-depth stories or you just prefer to listen instead, The Long Read From Stuff is the podcast for you. Each week we showcase one of our excellent pieces of journalism, telling important or entertaining stories from the world of crime, sport, history, culture and more. You also get to hear from the journalists themselves about how they uncovered the story and how it came to life. So for your weekly dose of long-form journalism, beautifully read, subscribe to The Long Read From Stuff wherever you get your podcasts. We love it when you get in touch, so please do always email us your thoughts, newsable at stuff.co.nz. And remember, if you want to vote in our newsable stable polls, give NZ Stuff a follow on Instagram. There is a butter chicken battle going down in India. In the Delhi High Court, to be specific, this is getting heard in a court of law. Two rival restaurant chains in India have asked a judge to rule once and for all over who invented butter chicken. The lawsuit was bought by the Gujral family, who run a famous restaurant in Delhi, and they claim the grandfather invented butter chick back in the 1930s as a way to use up his leftover tandoor chicken. This is where the $400,000 comes in that I mentioned at the top of the show, because not only do the family want rights to claim the butter chicken creator title, they want 400 k in damages from the rival restaurant family, the Dariganj family. That family says one of their relatives worked with the Gujral grandfather to create the first butter chicken. Therefore, they too can also claim to be the home and the creator of the dish, going so far as to allegedly trademarking it around 2018-2019. It's unclear the exact date. The first hearing of this court case was last week. The next hearing is in May. And hey, this has the hallmarks of the biggest story of 2024, in my humble opinion. But... The BBC quotes a chef and food writer, Sadaf Hussein, as saying this butter chicken fight is inconsequential because what truly matters is who serves the best butter chicken. He does have a point. Funny man, Russell Howard is just about to join me. But remember, if you are enjoying what you're hearing, we'd love it if you chucked us a follow on your favourite podcast platform because it helps other people find us and means they too can find out the weird places our next interview goes. One of the UK's most popular comedians is in New Zealand. Russell Howard is here to tour our country, starting in Dunedin tomorrow. But luckily, this time he won't have to pace around a hotel room while in MIQ. But maybe he missed the peace and quiet. Maybe not. Maybe he'll tell us now because he's here for a chat. Russell Howard, welcome. Hello, mate. Uh, I don't miss it. I went back there yesterday um, oh. just to retrace my steps at the Grand Millennium. How was and, that? Uh, pretty uh, triggering. Closure? Closure, yeah, imagine that. But it was, yeah, it was this weird sort of mecca we went to, just, it was such a bizarre, I've got to admit, the way they looked after us was amazing. Like, we had a quiz, oh. so they would look, put a little quiz sheet underneath the uh, the door, and this is how funny you are as a people, because the number one prize, if you got the quiz right, was an extra night stay at the hotel. No, wasn't. Which is genius. <laughs> yeah, so we got quizzes, we got pineapple lumps. Oh, which yeah. I thought, so it sounded like a disease, mm. but it turns out it's quite a Moorish chocolate-flavoured pineapple. And you initially go, oh, it's disgusting, and then after a couple of hours on your own with these things, you devour them. Well, top tip for you while you're here in New Zealand, freeze them. 
Really? And then have them. They're just that little bit more tasty. Kiwi ingenuity. You're oh, always thinking outside the box. We're very smart, we are. Uh, in the UK, your shows have a bit of a political element. Mm. How hard is it to satirise politics at the moment? Um, well, British politics is proof that the cream can rise to the top, but turds can float there too. So it's it's pretty it's pretty easy, really. It's I, I like trying to get in into the weeds of it all and trying to sort of um, sort of figure out the stories behind the biggest stories. Sometimes, like Liz Truss, I don't even know this, but she was a, a prime minister for like a month, mm. and she cost us thirty three billion in forty four days. Which is a bad, that's a bad month. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's a big month. <laughs> but, but it's very rarely mentioned in the news. And yet we have all these kind of culture war stories. So I, f- I always find it quite interesting juxtaposing the things that the media tell us to be furious about versus mm. the fact that, you know, this unelected moron had a dream. And it's uh, basically made our mortgages go up like from like £800 a month to 1200 And do you know what we did? We pay her money. She gets paid for, um, 150 thousand pounds every year for the rest of her life for doing a job that badly she gets free flights or something eh? i didn't even check that but look oh, at you see so you i go. was looking at her salary and you're already looking into bonuses <laughs> yeah she probably gets free flights does bringing up like liz truss work in other countries or do no, you no. sort of cater it to the country you're in yeah i try and cater it i think yeah if i was in lisbon talking about liz <laughs> truss um yeah i try and blend it i'm trying to learn about your pm because last time i was here it was all and Auntie Cindy, you know, and it feels like now I don't know if there's any uh, tunes with your new leader. There might be. Do you reckon you'll you'll give some New Zealand politics a crack in your in your shows? Yeah, I think I'll have a read up and see what's what. I've just got to feel the lay of the land. That's it. And sort of, I think that's the great thing about sort of doing gigs in a in a new place. You just get a feel for it. Do you know what I mean? It's kind mm. of it's like talking politics in America. It's always. You know, you do it kind of gingerly. It's like stepping onto a frozen lake and you got to see which bits. You know, like, okay, that's interesting. <laughs> are, are, are Kiwi audience easy to please? I think you're nice. Oh, that's kind of No, they were, they were cool. We only had one. We did a gig in Nelson last year. That was the only one that was a bit peculiar. <laughs> but all the others were ace. But yeah, that one in Nelson was like, do you know what I mean? I felt like a tap dancing poodle in a lift <laughs> full of people with blue rinses going, will this dog ever stop dancing? Um, yeah, it was an hour and a half of misery. Just me. Oh. <laughs> just someone killed that dog. You going back to Nelson? No, no. It just, oh, you've yeah, it just one and done. Yeah. Um, we are talking butter chicken on the show today because there's a lawsuit in India. Oh yeah. Uh, that's been filed in the High Court of Delhi, uh, where two restaurants are trying to settle once and for all who invented butter chicken. You're from right. the UK. Yeah. Uh, you know, people from the UK love a curry. I think yeah. you're from Bath. If I, my Wikipedia searches Absolutely have done correct. me justice. Yep. Bathians, big curry eaters. Oh, everyone in the UK. It's it's like I mean, English food isn't amazing, but I think that is. I think British curries are the best in the mm. world. That's the only, like, a, a proper Indian curry in the UK is something else. It's it's extraordinary, yeah. It's my deathbed meal, absolutely. Ooh. So I'd go a chicken madras, I'd take four poppadoms, I'd have a pashwari naan, I'd have... And my friend Kumar would have uh, chicken biryani and he'd have it with a doll. It's the best. I mean, we probably wouldn't be in the same cell together, but he's opposite me, so I'm trying well, to... We don't know, they might let you have, like, a last wish or something as well. Well, I asked my mum this. I was like, you know, death row meal, your last meal, you know, what would you eat? And my mum was like, well, what crime did I commit? And you're like, it doesn't matter. It's <laughs> not the question. Yeah, it's not the question. It's what the pig, well, what did I do? And so I was like, oh, no, you killed a pig with a hammer. Oh, did I? Oh, Lord. 
Um, I'll just have toast. I don't think I deserve anything for the way I've behaved. So uh, that's what we were left with. Yeah. I love that she needed a bex. Yeah, I know. It's mad, isn't it? You're like, I'm just trying to fill time. Oh, God. And she was sort of <laughs> looking at herself in the mirror like she was this swine murderer. Russell Howard, thank you for talking. Russell's Pleasure. tour visits all the major centres and more before ending in Hawke's Bay on February 11. You can check out tickets. The full list of dates are at russell-howard.co.uk. Thank you. Nice to meet you. That was amazing. And also, that was just a snippet of mine and Russell's chat. We will be dropping the full extended interview later today. Keep your ears peeled for that one. That is newsable for today, though. I'm Imogen Wells, and I will be having a butter chicken for dinner. If you like this podcast, please support our work. Visit stuff.co.nz support.